Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you're here for us, that we can follow you and love you and honor you. We just pray that you'd help us to study your word and to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just like to start off by welcoming you here this morning to Bethel. My name is Ryan. I'm Ryan Mayer. I'm the associate pastor here. Today is actually the first Sunday through the summer that our lead pastor, Sean, is on sabbatical. And so we're going to, you're going to be seeing a number of different people up here preaching throughout the week. Um, he was out this first week here, and everything went well, except for the fact that I did stab myself this week. Um, but other than that, he immediately found out that I did, and he texted me, and he goes, are you already missing me that much that you're trying to hurt yourself? But So we've already talked a couple times this week, and he's he's doing well. But I'm going to be taking a little less than half of them, and then we have different pastors that are going to be coming in and teaching. And so what, what I'm going to be doing this summer is every time I preach— I want to preach on a different psalm. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 34. But before we dive into what the psalm is actually about, the first thing we have to know are, what are psalms? And essentially, a psalm is a written prayer. Now, some of them are set to music to be Sung. Some of them are celebrations. Some of them are lament. Some of them just, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why you write them. But they're essentially someone writing out their conversation with God. And I think what that does is that actually makes them extremely powerful because when you're praying to God, that typically is the most vulnerable you're going to be. If it's just between you and God, you typically don't care as much what people think about you. You're not as concerned. Now, if you're praying in a group of people, you might be a little concerned on how you sound. But if it's just you and God, usually you just lay everything out. And so that's what we're going to be looking at throughout this summer with me preaching is times in people's lives when they cried out. We're going to be looking at times where they were celebrating We're going to be looking at times where they were crying for what was happening, but there's going to be a bunch of different scenarios that we're going to see. And so in any of these Psalms, you can see yourself, you can see how God was moving and you can see how God can do the same thing in your life. So we don't have enough time to get through the entire Psalm this morning. So we're just going to be doing verses one to 10. So if you can look in your Bible or you can look up at the screen, it'll be up there as well. It says, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you, o, o fear the Lord, you his saints, 
for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So just like in anything, if you want to find out what's going on, you first need to understand who wrote it and why they wrote it. So this psalm's a little easier because it basically tells us what happened. So if you look, it says it's from David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Now, the beauty of scripture is we can find this story in the Bible. We don't have to try to guess exactly what happened. It's actually found in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 to 22, verse 1. And so what's happened, to give you kind of an update of what's going on, what's happened is David has defeated Goliath. And because he defeated Goliath, he became a great warrior And day after day after day, he became an even better warrior. And it got to the point where he became so powerful that Saul, who was the king at the time, started to hate him. He started to just be enraged with jealousy because everybody started chanting and talking about how, yeah, Saul's this great king, but David's even better. And so David has to start running. He hasn't done anything wrong. All he did was try to serve and fight for for Saul with all he had. But he has to start running. So he decides he's going to run to Gath, is the city. Now, the thing about it is, is, as he's about to start running, he realizes, I don't have any weapons. So he stops off at the temple, and they realize in the temple there's only one weapon, and it's Saul's sword that he took from him after he killed him. So David takes that and he runs off to Gath. Now the thing about Gath that's important to know is Gath is actually in Philistine territory. So he's running from Saul into enemy territory and it's actually the hometown of Goliath. So here's the guy who not only killed this man, their greatest warrior, he's walking into their city with the sword from that warrior, which was also the sword that he used to cut off Goliath's head after he killed him. So you would assume the people in Gath are not super excited to find out that this guy's here. So they find him and they grab him and they take him to the king. And so David doesn't know what to do because he's basically planning on, okay, either this guy's going to kill me or somehow I'm going to escape and I got another king who wants to kill me as well. So the only thing he can think of, here it says he changed his behavior, but the only thing he can think of is, I'm just going to act absolutely crazy. Just crazy, nuts. Says he starts to let the spit, says spittle, come down his beard. Basically, he starts foaming at the mouth and running up against walls and scraping the doorpost and just acting absolutely insane. And the king looks at him and he goes, this isn't David. This guy's crazy. Why'd you bring me a crazy guy? Get him out of here. So they just let David go. And so he runs away and he runs away to a cave and he's hiding in the cave. And this is where he's going to write this psalm. So that's kind of the backstory of what's happened. He's realized I barely escaped with my life. These guys, they hate me. And just acting crazy gets me out of it. 
So what I wanted to look at today is in this psalm, there's three things in how David acts. We're going to see worship, we're going to see prayer, and we're going to see a peace. And so the first one, worship, comes from the first three verses here. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So he starts off and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now he's not saying I'm going to be blessing and singing and worshiping 24 hours a day. See, when he says bless, he's not talking about like us. If we would say, oh, well, here's some money. I just want to bless you with a gift. Because that indicates you're not really deserving of this, but I'm going to give it to you. When it comes to worshiping God, when it comes to God, he is deserving of all of the praise all of the time. There is never a time where you could say, ah, well, God kind of messed up here, so he just doesn't deserve my praise today. He always deserves it. So when it says, I will bless him at all times, the words he uses here is not actually like, oh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's actually indicating in all circumstances, I will bless the Lord. In everything in my life, in good and in bad, I will praise the Lord. And I think that's the first thing that we have to see Remember, David is sitting in a cave, fearing for his life. And his first response is, I'll praise the Lord. I'll bless him. Is that what we do? You see, it's easy for us to worship God when things are going well. And it's easy for us to call out to God and to ask him for things when things aren't going well. But how easy is it for us to say, thank you, God, for what you've given me? Even when things aren't going well, even when it seems like you saw the title of the sermon, the title of the sermon is, I'll praise God in the wilderness. He's in a cave, he's fearing for his life, and he's still willing to say, in all circumstances, I'm going to bless God. Honestly, when I look at my life, I'm not always the best at doing that. AJ talked this morning about how there's different layers of fatherhood. You know, the ones who came before us, and the ones who are currently fathers, and the ones who maybe someday will be fathers, and And we look at first as the fathers who came before us. And I grew up with a great father. But he's also gone. It's hard to praise God for that. It's hard to say, hey, God, thanks for taking him. I know he's happier than I am. It's hard to do that. I currently am a father and I love my children to death. There's some times where it's it's hard to praise God. There's some times where it's like, it's hard. But in all of our situations, we have to be willing to cry out to him. He goes on and he says, his, this praise shall be continually be in my mouth. 
His soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David knew that the reason he was saved at this moment was not because of him, was because of God. He could have sat there and said, man, I am so smart. Acting crazy, like that was a, it was genius. Nobody else would have thought about that. Everybody else would have just been killed. But he knew, okay, acting crazy, yeah, that was my idea, but that would never have worked if it wouldn't have been for God. For the king to just look at him and say, no, this guy's acting weird. This isn't him. Would he have expected David to walk in and say, yeah, I'm David. I'm the guy that killed your greatest warrior. But when it says, let the humble hear and be glad, the humble ones are the ones that praise God the most because they're the ones that realize they need him the most. But it's so easy sometimes to not realize how far we really get from God. It's so easy in my own life to get arrogant. To look at it and say, oh man, I got baptized when I was 12 years old. I've never left the church. I've always been the church. I'm a pastor. And, and to look at myself and say, I'm wonderful. That guy over there, that guy's terrible. That guy needs Jesus. Yes, I need Jesus, but not as bad as he does. If that's my mentality, God would much rather listen to the praise of that person than to my praise. Because my praise isn't fully devoted to him. It's easy for me when things are going well in life to not even praise God, to just say, oh, God, God I'm, I'm a hard worker. I'm smart. That's why I'm the way I, where I'm at. Instead of looking at it and saying, man, God is behind everything. And he says here, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The humble person also realizes worship is corporate. Yes, I can sit and I can worship God by myself in my bedroom. But I should be getting together with other people to worship corporately because I realize I can't even worship God enough. I need more people. We need help. We need more people singing. We need more people glorifying God because he deserves everything that we can give him. When he says magnify, that doesn't mean we're making God larger. We can't make God any bigger. But if you think about it from the perspective of a magnifying glass, if I have a magnifying glass and I hold it and I look at a bug, that bug is not any bigger, but he looks bigger. So when I magnify God, I'm putting my focus on him and I'm making him larger in my life. I'm not sitting here going, well, okay, worship's not really my thing. I found a quote from A.W. Tozer that really hit me pretty hard. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship 
is not ready for heaven. If God is not the center of our lives, we're not ready to be able to fully devote ourselves to him. Now, the act of worship might be different for different people. Not saying everybody, you know, we do sing different styles of worship here. You can worship God in prayer. There's, But if it's just something where you're like, eh, it's God. Yeah, I'm thankful for him, but that's it. You're not ready. But then it goes to the second point here. And that's his prayer. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So I want to stop there for a second. Did God actually deliver David from all his fears? No. He's sitting in a cave, still very much a wanted man. Yes, he got out of the one part of the danger, but he's still in danger. So when David says, he delivered me from all my fears, what's changed? What's changed is David's heart. It would have been very easily for easy for David to say, God, thank you so much for saving me, but there's still this going on. And how much do we do that? God, thank you, but this. Instead of just saying, God, thank you. Perfect example this week that happened. I told you I stabbed myself. I stabbed myself right on my wrist. And when I texted my sister-in-law, she said, wow, you are very close to an artery. And it's easy for me to be like, thank you, God, but please make sure I didn't hit a nerve. Please make sure I didn't do any more damage. Instead of being like, God, thank you. It could have been so much worse. But so often in our lives, we look and we say, okay, God, thank you. You answered this. Now let's move on to the next thing you need to answer. We look at prayer and we say, prayer is a way to change the outcome. When in reality, prayer is the way to change you and your outlook. I don't go to God and say, God, make my life better. Make my life greater. But I go to him and I say, God, let me see you. Because when I see you, it will help me. He said, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is where you have to look at all scripture in context, because it'd be very easy to pull some of these verses out and to say, well, that's just what you got to do. You just got to pray. And if you pray, God will make everything better. You're sick. That means you just need to pray more. I prayed a lot for my dad. He didn't make it. Does that mean I didn't have enough faith? No. It means that wasn't God's plan. But we look at this sometimes and we say, well, if I just pray harder, if I pray harder, I'll change God's mind. 
But what David saw here is when he prayed to God, God completely changed his view on things. I can guarantee you I would not have been sitting in that cave saying, man, God's delivered me from all of my fears, all of my troubles. More realistically, I'm a bit of a pessimist. I probably would have been like, God, thank you so much. You're so awesome. Now, just maybe help me with the next thing. Maybe just get Saul off my back. You know, if you, however you want to take care of him, I'm not going to complain. Either he'll like me or he'll be gone. One of the two. But his prayer shows that he honestly and earnestly wanted God to help us. See, the one thing we have to realize, I'm sure all of us has if you've lived for any period of time, good things happen to believers and good things happen to unbelievers. And bad things happen to believers and bad things happen to unbelievers. We're told in scripture, we're going to face trials. We're going to face issues because of our faith, because he says the world will hate us because they hated Jesus. They will hate us. So we can gear ourselves up for some things, but there are still going to be a lot of times in life where bad things happen and they'll seem like they happen for no apparent reason. But our faith is what helps us through them. Our faith doesn't take the stuff away. It doesn't magically make everything in life that much better. But it changes how we see it. So then the third one here is actually what happens after that prayer. David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So that, fir- that first part there, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What does it mean to taste and see that the Lord is good? Somebody who knows absolutely nothing about Scripture might go, What is that? You're supposed to eat something? But one of the things that's hard about our faith is sometimes there's things that are hard to explain without using a physical way to explain them. And what David's trying to show here is when something looks good and you taste it and the taste is still good, you know that it's valuable. So when he's saying, taste and see, take part in this, it brings this peace in you that it's kind of hard to explain. When we try to talk about peace and we try to talk about how, have you ever been in a situation in your life where you should be scared, you should be in pain, you should be mad, you should be all of these things, and you're just not. And someone asks you, how how are you doing it? And you're just kind of like, I don't know. I just feel that peace come upon me. It's kind of a dumb example, but I've thought about this before where when you try to explain, okay, well, what is peace? 
and you try to explain to someone, I'm like, okay, to me, it's a little bit of this feeling of, you know, when the weather just starts to get kind of cool and you walk outside and the breeze hits you and you're just like, ah. Some of you that are hunters always tell me, I'm not a hunter, but some of you that are hunters say there's no better feeling than sitting in a tree and it's nice outside and you're just hearing all the noises of God's creation around you. That's peace. Like I said, that's not a perfect example. There's peace that comes in trials and in challenges and in all of that. But when you're trying to explain someone that feeling... It's really hard to do. But David's trying to explain it here and to say, you know, when you see a really good piece of fruit and you take a bite of it and it's just so good. We have some very, very good cooks in this church that you just take a bite of their dessert and you're like, oh my goodness. And you can't even say anything. You just sit there. It's a peace that comes upon us. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This doesn't mean God answers everything exactly the way we want. But what it means is that he's going to be there for you. So there's an illustration that I think about here. That if this ever happened to you when you were a kid, that you showed up someplace with your parents and there's a group of people and, and you go in the crowd and you're just kind of having a good time, you're enjoying yourself, maybe you're playing with friends, things like that, and you all of a sudden look up and you're not 100% sure where your parents are. There's a little bit of a fear that comes upon you. Or on the flip side... I've had it before. This happened just a few years ago where we stand around and we talk a lot after church and our kids have kind of learned just go play until mom and dad will come find you when it's time to go. So we had a Sunday the one time where we were like, okay, it's time to go. So we started trying to collect our kids and we're one short and you can't go home one short. You got to take all of them with you. So we're one short and I'm like, okay, well, I'll start walking around the church. So I do one loop around the church and I can't find them. Like, okay, well, maybe I missed them. They were running a different direction. I did a second loop. And then I did a third loop. And then I checked the classrooms and I checked the bathroom and I checked out outside. And there's this like anxiety that starts in you that you're just like, okay, this isn't funny anymore. Where's the kid? Where are they? And then all of a sudden you start... I'm a pastor, so I guess I can do this a little more. I start yelling around in the hallways, just yelling the kid's name. And all of a sudden you hear them finally say something. And in that moment, I should be ticked because I couldn't find them. But I'm not. There's just this sense of relief. And on the flip side, in that first example, I told you when you're the kid and you're looking down and you're playing and then all of a sudden you look up and you can't find them. And you're searching around, and then all of a sudden you see your parents. There's this feeling that all of that anxiety, all of that stuff just went away. That's what David's trying to explain here. 
Our problem is so often we get focused on our own lives and we get focused on what's happening that we take our eyes off of God and then something starts happening. We start hitting issues at things in our lives and we feel like we have no idea where God is. But as soon as we lift our eyes up and as soon as we look to God, there's a peace that we just can't explain. That is what we want. If we just keep our eyes on God and stop getting so bogged down in everything else, that helps us. Again, it doesn't make everything smooth, but what it does is it helps us to realize God is there. In my example, the parents never left. Kids just didn't know where they were. God has never left us. No matter how terrible things are going, God has never left you. And so I hope if you're in the wilderness, if you're the type of person right now that just things, you, you can't explain all of the stuff that's going wrong. You can't explain all that's happening. I pray that you look to David and you look at his life and say, Man, if he can worship God right now, how can I not be worshiping God? I'm going to have you stand, and I'll close this in prayer then. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the ability to celebrate Father's Day. Lord, we thank you that you are ultimately our Father, that you are the greatest example of a Father that we can see, that you are worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And God, I just pray this morning, if there's anybody here that feels like they're in the wilderness, they feel like they're David, who things just keep piling up, I pray that you'd help them to see all that you've done, to see all that you've been there for and that you've never left. I pray that you'd help them to lift their eyes up to you, Lord. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name.